I think a lot of black artists go into these institutions knowing that they weren't really made for us. So yep. we have to have a sort of oppositional or like a progressive kind of relationship to it so that it is a space where we can like grow and find the kinds of resources and opportunities we need. Black creativity is unstoppable. The Studio Noise podcast takes you into the studio with Black artists and creatives making the art that moves the culture. You get to feel all the inspiration, technique, and passion behind the people making paintings, making sculptures, making prints, making noise. It's the Studio Noise podcast with your host, Jamal Barber. It's the noise. Yes, it's your boy, Jay Barber. You know, here on The Noise, we love the fam. We celebrate all artists on all levels getting into that bag, going further in their careers, doing things they never thought they could do. But I believe in you. So I thought you could do it the whole time. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's what the podcast is for. I thought I know I, I see it in you. So when you see your fam starting to touch that greatness, when you see them doing the big things, we got to tell them. We see you, baby. <laughs> we see you doing it. You shining brighter than ever before. And of course, we got to bring them back on the show. That's why we got Catherine Weiss back on the show. She's coming back to talk about her mission into the Yale MFA program. Hand claps, gunshots. Look, I need to <laughs> I need to start me a GoFundMe. You know what I'm saying? So I can get some sound effects on it. <laughs> so because this deserves some claps and gunshots, all that good stuff. Yo, I need to make some noise on her. You know what I mean? She's moving on to these big grand new levels, selling out solo shows. She's making podcasts. She's continuing to explore the expressions of blackness and all the ways it manifests. She's doing great things, great stuff. And the fam is strong and thriving in abundance. <laughs> Tell them, Kelly, we thriving in abundance over here with the studio noise. <laughs> Yes. And so, you know, it's the noise, studio noise, baby, bringing you the best in contemporary black art, all artists that you want to know that you need to know. Curators, scholars, collectors, all giving you the best art conversation on Beyonce's Internet. It's damn sure the blackest art conversations on the Internet. <laughs> I know that's for sure. And we got more exciting conversations coming for you all summer long. Do your boy solid. Support the show. Listen, subscribe, share wherever you listen to podcasts. It's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud. If you can, go ahead. Don't even, not even if you can. Go ahead. Rate and write a review for your boy. Let everybody know about the noise. Check out our website at studionoisepodcast.com. Follow us on IG at Studio Noise Podcast too. We're sharing images and all types of things from this episode over there. And if you really like what you hear, if you really want to make sure then I continue this archive, the voices of black contemporary art. And uh, then you got to join our Patreon. The link is in the show notes and on the website. Go ahead and join it. Every few dollars that you give helps your boy keep this going. And I sure do appreciate it. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. And so right now, go ahead and copy the link for this episode. Uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, go ahead, put it in your group chat. Go ahead and tell them. It's the noise, baby. Studio noise is the voice of black art. We got more for you. And we coming back right after the break with Catherine Weiss back on the noise. The noise, baby. Yes. This is Clayton Singleton, portrait and figurative artist. And you are listening to Studio Noise. It's your boy Jay Barber back with you. Another episode of Studio Noise. This time, bringing back the Studio Noise fam, Miss Kat Weiss. She's been doing big things in her life, and I'm so glad to have her back on. How you doing, Kat? I'm doing great. So happy to be here with you with the Studio Noise fam. Yes, of course. And you part of the fam. And that's Catherine Weiss, if everybody don't know. K-A-T-H-A-R-E-N. Your name is not spelled weird. <laughs> It's just different. Okay. <laughs> and that's Weiss, W-I-E-S-E, -E, uh, when you do it. So it's at Catherine.Weiss on Instagram, catweiss.com. You can make sure y'all check her out, support the fam, like we always do. And so this is a great time to catch up with you because you have so many big things happening in your life, 
all at one time. So, you know, I feel like you're overwhelmed, you're overjoyed, you just can't wait to talk. Yeah, yeah, there's so much to talk about. So much has happened since I was on the on the show last. That's right, Joe. And, I, and you know, I tell all my guests that that return, like, it's not that you were on Studio Noise and Studio Noise did anything to you, but you were on Studio <laughs> Noise. And now all these great things are happening. I'm just saying, I, I'm just saying, I just put it out there. I'm just lying. It the didn't hurt. Let's <laughs> say it that way. It didn't hurt anything. Absolutely. For sure. Absolutely. Yo. So, so much going on. I'm going to let you pick where we go, but I'm going to talk. I'm going to say that the four things that I want to talk about with you, one, your pressing matters. In, in the Pressing Matters magazine, issue number 18, got a feature on my girl, Cat in there. They got your show, I Make the Corn Rolls, at, is it Keisha Fine Art? Is that the name of it? That's right. All you right. nailed it. Yeah. yeah right, People in Lincoln can't even say that. Right, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you got your show, I Made the Corn Rolls, solo show at Keisha Fine Art. You got your Black IDs podcast, which was a part of the show that you developed. And da, 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 big news, where is my, I'm going to get some sound effects one day. To be up <laughs> here for gunshots, but you got into Yale. Yeah, <laughs> so go gunshots yeah. all around, yo. What's up, yo? Yeah, I've been hustling for sure. It's it's been uh, the past couple of years. I've been hustling, and it's just yeah, it's been awesome to see my community show out for me, and just to see kind of what it's all resulted in. So it's been awesome. Yeah. So I feel like when I talked to you last, you were a young artist, and now you're still a young artist. But I feel like you have done so much uh, since then, you know? And so I, I'm, I'm going to start with the Yale thing because the Yale thing is like, it's not every day somebody get into Yale. Now, coincidentally, another person that was on the podcast also got into Yale. Uh, and that was, uh, <laughs> that was my girl, Layla Felder, <laughs> who was a, a whiz kid, opera child, actors, uh, artist. And she does it all. Big shout out to, to her. And she also got into Yale. So maybe y'all run into each other. But I, that's such a big deal, yo. Like what? What? Tell me about it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what, what exactly to ask, but tell me about it. Yeah, um, Yale is Yale. It's great. It's a great school. It's a great program. And so many of my artistic heroes have gone to Yale, like Nideka uh, Crosby, mm-hmm. Barkley Hendricks, Jordan Castile, of course, Kendall Wiley. Like the list just goes on and on and on of like really yeah. amazing uh, black painters who have come out of the program. And so I took note of that when I was looking at, like, whose careers do I really admire and, like, how do I get to where I want to go? And so I was thinking about that. And then growing up in Lincoln, Nebraska, there's a lot of cultural isolation. There's a lot of tokenism and there's a lot of white people. And so I knew I wanted to go to a program that had faculty and students that were really diverse and that could give me the kind of like critical feedback I need Mm -hmm. making work about race and identity and multiracial identity as well. And so I was looking at their co their cohort, their current cohort, their past cohorts and their faculty. And there's a lot of people that are thinking about the same intersections as I am. And so I was like, this would be such a good place for my practice. And so that was really what made me want to go. And then of course it doesn't hurt that it has a really, great um just like legacy it has a great um like prestige and all that that's cute too it's like it's it's all useful (laughs) for sure and so yeah that's like that's what happened and I was on the wait list for like a month and I was like who's gonna leave who's gonna drop out you know what I mean so I was like I'm not I don't think I'm gonna get off this wait list um and I did and I was really overjoyed because it was the Wednesday before my solo show opened that friday so it was just a very big week for me that week was a very really big week that's absolutely incredible yo like so did you, do you see yourself developing along those lines like you mentioned a lot of big names that are like really resonate right now like is that where you see yourself wanting to go well i mean i feel like we all have uh we need to make our practices as big as they are asking to be and i think thinking about my own practice and the canon of like painting and printmaking and the real, like um, the, the lack of representation of intersectional experiences and the sort of limited geographies where blackness is explored and talked about makes me really want to see, like, I want to see black people in rural spaces. I want to see suburban black people. I want to see dark skinned black people. I want to see white passing black people. Like there's so many sort of expressions of blackness that have yet to be captured. And that I know 
just being in Nebraska and knowing how we've developed sort of in spite of predominantly white culture, cultural institutions. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, I think there's a gap there. And I'm really interested in making work responding to that alongside like all the other amazing black artists that are kind of doing the same thing. So so it's interesting that you like if with this kind of of line of uh, research that you're going into, I want to, I don't want to say that. Yeah. I guess there's a particular line of research when you talk about uh, exploring these identities and you picked from going from Lincoln, Nebraska, which is from your experience, it's 4% of the people are black, right? Right, right. And so, and now you're going to Yale, which is not the most black place <laughs> that anybody no, has ever, ever gone to. And actually, I feel and find like you're almost trading one situation for the next. Well, what do you what do you think about that? Yeah, so it's a lot of. I think we've talked about this too. Is so many graduate programs are predominantly white, mm-hmm. and so especially the cities where the graduate programs are. And that was something I was looking at was what's the demographic of the school in relationship to the city? And also just a plug for the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. That was my other school that I really, really loved. And they're awesome because they actually have a lot of black people in Tennessee. But not only that, there's a lot of black people in in the school in relationship to the number of students. So it's like um, what's like a representational number of people of color to have at a school. And a lot Mm -hmm. of schools fall short in general. So it's like their city will have way more black people demographically than their schools do. And so New Haven is pretty white, (laughs) but the school (laughs) is very international. And then the art program in particular is very diverse. So it's like, even though I'm not sure, I don't know. I've only been to New Haven like for one day. Mm -hmm. I I don't know what the cultural uh, shift is going to be like for me um totally but there's so many just like amazing cities around the east coast like baltimore and it's predominantly black and like there's lots of culture to be had on the east in general so hopefully i'll be able to find some some space either way absolutely and i and i think it's funny when you talk about international i think that introduces a completely other aspect of blackness that you're going in like it's a particular kind of black that gets into yale in the first place right especially on like international levels, they think a certain way. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering how you, how that'll affect your practice a little bit. Like, does it, does it, would it, are you looking to be, take a more international look at how these kind of ideas manifest across the world? Yeah. I, yeah, I think that's a really interesting idea because when I, when I think about um, what is, what is uh, personal, it's also normally the more specific you get, the more universal you get, I think. So it's like, even if I continue talking about what it means to be black, like in predominantly white spaces, even if I continue to talk about just specifically what it meant to be black in Nebraska, Mm -hmm. I think there's like international implications for that. Um, So I'm interested in learning like the implications and the intersections and the overlays, but I'm not sure. I don't also know, like my, my practice might change a lot. It might not. Um, but some of it, I'm just like trying to stay open-minded and oh, just yeah. curious. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think if if you do grad school correctly, it will absolutely change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in, terms, <laughs> in terms of how it's supposed to be, like you're not supposed to like come out with the same mindset uh, that you had going in. Like if, if you did that, what's the point? Like you didn't explore, you didn't push the boundaries, mm-hmm. didn't take in all this other this research and the papers and the re- and the writing and the other people you know what i'm saying they have so many people come through the yale mfa program i uh, even come back to visit in the way that they do like i it's, it, I'm, I'm jealous right you know what i mean like i'm gonna go ahead and say it. i'm jealous a little bit jealous but i think you're gonna be a great person for it i saw it in your work the first time we talked and so uh actually when you told when you asked me about should you apply i was like yes yo you would definitely get into yale that's, that's what i was thinking to myself like your yeah, work thank is phenomenal you. phenomenal Thank you so much. And thanks for your faith in me and like your practice it totally inspires me and like the way that you have like the community nature, the collective nature, like all of it. I've definitely been thinking about it. And so that means a lot to me. Also, 
I'm jealous of you. You talked to Deborah. Will, uh, Deborah, <laughs> you talked to David Driscoll. Like I went back and listened to these. I'm like, this is such an iconic moment. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Yes, it is. It's something else, yo. It's something else. <laughs> it's something yeah, else. that's what's up, yo. And you, you're moving out there. Are you, are you ready, prepared, like financially, mentally, like all, all of it, like ready to go? Yeah, things things are, are looking up. Things are doing good. I had like a little like tote bag t-shirt fundraiser. I'm not sure it was amazing, but <laughs> if people want to support me that way, they totally can. Those will be um, out in the world like the end of May. I'll have them physically, but I had some pre-orders for that. And then I was so delighted because I sold out my solo show. And so that helped oh, look a at lot. That. that was really, really good. So um yeah, things are good. I've just been like packing and the cost of living there is crazy because oh, in yeah. Lincoln, I'm paying very little for my apartment, like twi- like less than half of what I'll be paying in New Haven. So the the cost of living is definitely going to be a shock regardless, but that's crazy. Uh, did we you kind say, of expect you you'll be you're paying right now less than half. So your cost has double. It will double. Yeah, Jesus. our rent will double. <laughs> Yeah. For like, and it's for a slightly smaller place. It's still a two bedroom, but yeah, that's, that's something wow. to be prepared for. If if, if, you're, if anybody else is listening, try to make <laughs> that move. Like, be prepared. <laughs> yeah. Yo, that yeah. is wild, Joe. That is wild. Yeah. So now you also can add to your whole thing, and maybe you talk about this already a little bit. But the uh, class issues that's involved in race and how that uh, manifests, yeah. even from you know poor blacks to rich blacks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. There's so many like intersects intersections of like what complicates a life experience. There's color, there's class, there's uh, the way you speak, you know, all those different things. And oh, also um, education, like education, you, yeah, you, you'll fall yeah. right into that bag. Like you're going to be yeah. a, a Ivy League educated <laughs> yeah. from Yale like person. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, what do you do with all that privilege? Like, what are you going to do with it? Like, <laughs> that's my question <laughs> for myself, you know? Um but I, I, I'm kind of just trying to stay centered, stay grounded and like, um, and it's been amazing too, just seeing and meeting the other MFA students. Like it, when I was introduced to the current cohort, there's one, um, student, her name's Tia and she's from Canada and she moved to New Haven with three kids mm. and has just an amazing practice. She's African-American and indigenous and she's, um what's her making full, you all know her full kinds name? of yeah you should have her on the show let me <laughs> i'm gonna find her i'll send her to you let me see um but i was just really like uh in awe of meeting someone at this ivy league institution that like reminds me of like community activists in my neighborhood that i really love and admire yeah and there was a number of people like that um in the mfa program who had both amazing creative practices as well as really civically engaged civically oriented practices and socially engaged practices so i was like i didn't expect i really didn't expect to find that kind of solidarity i was kind of nervous about uh the opposite of feeling like unincluded and unconnected but it was really i was like oh these are my people i really want to hang out with these people (laughs) so um because you hear a lot of stories about kind of the pressure cooker nature of like the the high level mfa programs to just like the competitive nature of it but you Mm -hmm. didn't get a sense of any of that when you went there yeah that's 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 what i was expecting i was expecting like a little snootiness or like a little this or that but it was it wasn't that like everyone was really kind they were really humble they were like you know you should be really proud that you've gotten this far like everyone was very just kind and i was a little in awe of them because I'd visited other programs um, that are not the number one in the country. And, and that wasn't the case. Like they were talking down to me sort of because I'm from Nebraska. Like I had that experience at a few uh, or at like one or two places where it kind of seemed like slanted or uh, like, oh, this, I know I was like, I was excited about this school, but after that, I don't know. <laughs> so um, yeah. That's what's up. That's a note to all the grad schools out there. Treat your people right, yo. <laughs> you can't yeah. be trying to recruit the best and brightest and then treat them like crap when, like, you know, like you're giving them a gift. Like, you know, yeah. it's a it's a reciprocal relationship. Like, I'm sure you're going to bring just as much to Yale as Yale is giving to you. Like, and that's a big thing to say, given the reputation of these institutions. But, like, they haven't had Catherine Weiss there yet, you know? 
Oh, thank like you. Like you on you on the, you you gonna hit the ground running, yo. I can't wait, yo. I can't wait to see <laughs> the stuff that you do. Honestly, yo. Yeah. That's gonna it's yeah. gonna be amazing. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to get back to the studio because I've just been like applying for scholarships and like packing stuff. So I have one last piece that I'm gonna be making here in Lincoln, um, with some like nonprofit friends and stuff. And then that's like that'll be the last thing I, I make here for probably until for a while and since we'll be like packing and moving in and everything. So that's what's up. Yeah. And you know, this is yeah. a it's a, a awesome conversation to look back on. Like I'm a, I'm gonna keep doing a podcast for another two years just to bring you back on the podcast <laughs> again. Just to, just so I can see like so I feel like I've gotten you now at two different levels, right? The the pre level is like you're we're out of school, wondering what to do, thinking about the future, trying to do something. Now you're like right on the cusp of entering the next phase of your life and i would be very interested to get you at the end of the process and to see what you think now what has changed and how the the activity of the next two years is gonna shape who you are as an artist yeah yeah and i even remember when our last conversation we we turned off the record and like right after that i was like so tell me about that was your experience so yeah 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 this has been something i've been debating about doing for a long time um it took me a couple of years i was like do i want to enter the institution again like do i want to be a part of that mm-hmm. but i think like as a as um I think a lot of black artists go into these institutions knowing that they weren't really made for us. So we have to have a sort of oppositional or like a progressive kind of relationship to it so that it is a space where we can like grow and find the kinds of resources and opportunities we need. And one thing that I wanted that I'm really excited about, about Yale in particular is they have black art historians talking about the intersection of african-american history and studies and art and i'm like oh that's really exciting and then their african-american studies department in general oh yeah is so tight like it's amazing so i'm I'm really excited about that too oh that's oh girl (laughs) (laughs) yeah i love it god yeah (laughs) that's awesome yo and so and so just a random question but right on the edge of that is i often have debates with people that talk about the need for an artist to have education at all right not just not just a graduate education but you know they even question the idea of an artist going to grad school because they they say you know quote unquote you could do the same thing like at your studio or whatnot like what do you where you fall on that kind of debate i really did think i was really thinking about it for a long time because i i have um i had a mentor when i was in high school his name's ben jones and he's an African-American art historian and like graffiti artist. And he's so tight. And he was doing a lot of critical thinking about the school system and about the relationship of, of black people to these institutions, which often are made to exclude us actively. And so how do we relate to them in a way that is oppositional? And so some of my thinking around that, I really adopted from him. And so he's both one of those people that is like very antagonistic towards these universities while at the same time he participates in them in Mm -hmm. a way that's like trying to push them forward so i think that's an important way of thinking about your role is how do you participate in a way that is progressive and um it's not like you're just kind of accepting the circumstances as they are but you're asking like how do i make this serve me and serve the next person like me better than it is now um because they are useful like these are useful spaces and it, it was a good excuse for me to move. Like for one, <laughs> I really needed to get, I needed to get out of Lincoln and I love Lincoln, but also there's like a real cultural isolation here. And there's a lack of certain kinds of artistic opportunities because mm-hmm. there's so few museums and there's not, a, there's not many um, galleries mm-hmm. and the ones we have are awesome, but it's like, you just need more of them, you know? Um, and so that was, that was like part of it for me was just that move was really valuable. And then, the second thing that I think is really valuable about graduate schools is your cohort and just that you're around a group of people that are as intensely interested in making art their profession in their like life sort of as you are. And that was really important to me because during the pandemic, I was organizing like virtual critique groups with my friends and doing all these sorts of things. And it was 
like I grew so much just from that kind of community and that kind of collective. Right. So I'm like, I can only imagine being like right next door to somebody who's like reading the same stuff as me. And we're both like trying to navigate and think through these things. And I'm just really excited to be around those people as much as I am excited to like take coursework and that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, and I absolutely agree with that. Cause I, that will, I would say that to anybody that asked me about grad school, I would tell them it was the people that made grad school what it was. Like even the teachers and everything was cool, but seeing people come in thinking one way and we all left thinking a different way, but seeing how they made those connections was the revelation. You know what I'm saying? To mm-hmm. see how people can push their practice, pick up, some things abandon other things evolve in other things and just grow as an artist but stay committed in in a in a much more intense way than you ever get just in a friend group and 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 it's it's very hard it's very hard to recreate that kind of 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 of, it's not it's not a pressure i don't want to describe it as a pressure but it, it is a different kind of focus you know, but like when when mm-hmm. all of us are there together, we're all in you. You're on another level than where I was, but um, we were all focused on getting a graduate degree. <laughs> you know, yeah. like in the studio, trying to prove ourselves, like in a way, constantly every day for me for three years, you for two years. But uh, you know, I, I, it's no way to recreate it. Like I don't think you could lazily, uh, lazily is a bad word, but randomly go into your studio work the same two years and get the same benefit i don't think it's possible because there's so many other like additives that come in like the fact that you do have to study and write papers you are with these other people that are also studying and writing papers (laughs) you have to like be in front of these people and offer some sort of defense for yourself right and be able to explain your work in a in a in a certain type of way i think it's, it was it was a healthy thing to do <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. i mean like and i don't i think people can miss that part of grad school and just be caught up in the institutional academic aspects and the critique about the education system and all that kind of stuff like it doesn't take away from the actual experience of being there for the two mm-hmm. years you know what i mean yeah precise precisely um and i i think my real issue with grad school isn't necessarily the schools all the time of course the cost like that's that's an oh, issue nah, yeah, for sure yeah, we like, can that, talk can, about be that, real, yeah. that <laughs> can be a real challenge um and then of course if you're coming in as a parent or as somebody that doesn't have like just uh you know all this like sort of free time and liberty right. that um you can afford as like an early 20s like how do you make grad school an experience that's possible and equitable for people from different backgrounds like that's another really good question and then my my like bigger the thing I think about sometimes is like why is it when you look at a museum a lot of major institutions if you look at the kind of CVs of most of these people in these museums not only are they MFA educated they're also going to like the same five schools yeah that's my problem is like how do we make it so that it's not this sort of like insular system that contributes to the success of the same like five schools over and over again you know something like that it's like that that i think is the bigger issue is like people are making legitimate and important work all over the country exactly like, why aren't we talking about like entire regions <laughs> <There's> entire <laughs> regions that are just like exactly. have very little museum representation or have very little like you know that kind of thing so that really bothers me and that was part of why i wanted to go to a big school because i was like if being from nebraska i was like i'd probably just get lost like if i if i didn't you know so no that's yeah. true that's true i mean it's a different level when you got um jack shaman like being one of your guests at at your critiques like it's yeah. a it's a whole different <laughs> a whole <laughs> different entry into the art world like when you when you have that kind of stamp of approval like and i yeah. think that's what it is right like they've picked and said that the people that go here i mean you got uh you got there you got where did Kara Walker go? RISD? Like you got mm-hmm. all these other places that are like these legendary accepted as these people are the best. Mm-hmm. Um, but also that's, you know, we'll get to um, switch a little bit and talk, talk about your podcast and, and segue by talking about this podcast where we are. I do. Yes, I've talked to Deborah Roberts. Yes, I've talked to Debisa Butler. But I also last week talked to uh, Clayton Singleton, who's working in Virginia Beach as an artist. Like in and not some internationally known, like he's super good. I, you know, that's my man. Shout out to Clayton. But there's so many other black art experiences that can happen that don't always get the wind of 
of the or the attention of people, right? Yeah. And so we switching a little bit and started talking about your foray into podcasting that went along with the show. So I guess this is one big conversation. But tell me your your show, I made the cornrows, Portraits of Black Nebraskans. And as part of that, you did the Black IDs podcast available on Spotify. Make sure y'all go check them out, listen to her. She has some exciting conversations with her, with her folks. Um exploring this kind of idea of black identity, yo. Tell me how'd you end up there? Yeah. Thanks for asking. And I, yeah, you inspired me in part because I was, li- I was listening to your podcast and I was like, what a great idea to just like record these conversations because I was already having interviews with people I was talking to and making portraits of. So I was like, why not share these and why not, why not make the voice of the subject a part of the work in and of itself. So you can go through the exhibition and there's QR codes on the wall where if you wanted to, you could like listen to this person's voice talking about themselves as you're seeing this image and so the image sort of becomes a, a work of anti-propaganda. It's not an image of a generic black person. It's an image of a very specific individual. So there's a portrait of my mom. Um, there's a portrait of Joelle Walanza Sanford, who's an artist and a naturalist uh, here in, uh, in Nebraska. And she is Ethiopian and white, and she's also white passing. And so we talked about her experience kind of being in this uh, li- like liminal space where she is not always understood as that which she is. And so the sort of tension of that experience, um, I just had a lot of great conversations with people who made me realize like being a black Nebraskan, a lot of, there's a lot of interlap and a lot of overlap regardless of your color. And I think for a long time, I thought that like the lightness of my skin and my biracialness was a huge part of why I, was sometimes told things like, oh, you're the whitest black person I know, or like different things like that. And then in talking to different black Nebraskans, I realized that actually is just like part of what it means to be in predominantly white spaces most Mm. most of the time. Like that's part of what it means to be a black Nebraskan in part is having experiences like that. Um, So yeah, it was, it was cool. It's, it's, it's been really cool. And it's made my painting sort of calls and responses between me and my subjects where the conversation sort of results in photo shoots. And so we kind of organize where we're shooting together and they kind of, they pull out what they're wearing. And then the paintings become a response both to the photo shoots and the places that we are and what they say about themselves. And it's just been a really gratifying way to work because instead of superimposing my ideas about, about another person, it's really about them. And it's about how their own self-definition which I think is just—it's just—it's just better. It's like a better way of working for me. Right. They maintain their agency, even though you are translating them into yes. into art. Yes. And and even if you wanted to critique my work and say you've misrepresented this person, they said this about themselves. You could do that. And I and I like that sense of accountability and the sense of responsibility that's taken for the image rather than sort of reinforcing these images of black people where they have no agency or where they're just like kind of nameless and faceless. Like I I'm really tired of some of that, but I'm also like, there's a, an important political aspect of course, to some of these propagandized images, but then there's also a sort of like loss that I experience in seeing them as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's fascinating. You know? So tell me, I'm going to go into one of the portraits, both eyes open. Uh, which yeah, has the, which has the diamond shape with the other canvas panel on the back. Tell me, how did your interview with Joelle inform this painting in particular, like some of the choices that you made? Thank you. Yeah, this one's my favorite because it's my most recent. And my most recent is always my favorite. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I kind of mentioned her earlier. So she's Ethiopian and white, and she's also like white passing, depending on the time of year, you know. And so she was talking about the sort of disharmony she experienced being biracial and then finding, and then she talked about like her race is not a huge part of her self-definition. And she talked about spending a lot of time in nature and that being like a very grounding spiritual space for her. And I wanted to capture what she was saying about that sort of tension. She, she feels at times where like a lot of the year she's received by the world around her as white. And then like during the black lives matter protests in 2020, her white friends were asking her like, 
about her experience and being like, well, you're not the same as like a, a black man. And she's like, I never said that. Like, <laughs> no, no one ever said that. Um, and, and so it's like sort of like, how do, how do you navigate your experience when you're received so many different ways? And so she just talked about kind of struggling to navigate that. And I wanted to capture the sort of completeness of a person, even amidst the tension of those di- of that dichotomy. And so there's the two canvases mounted on top of each other. And then the foregrounded canvas has um, par- marbled paper collaged over the surface. And then she is painted on top of this marbled paper. So it's kind of working rhetorically to talk about mixedness or multiracialness is like the backdrop of this image of her. And then the foliage like covers the whole thing. And I think it sort of grounds it and unifies it. So even though it's these disparate things, they're received as a whole. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. What is this a particular foliage that you're using or is it just kind of what you see in Nebraska? We went to we actually went to Iowa. She works. She was working on a nature preserve in Iowa. So we drove there and. It was hot and sweaty. <laughs> we, we went up on these hills and we're like shooting. And so it was really cool. I learned a lot about plants too. And I, I'm like kind of a big mushroom nerd right now. So I was really, I think that was like the beginning of something for me too. So that was. Uh oh. Oh, here we go. We can make yeah. that, make that mushroom art. Yeah. I, I feel you. Yeah. <laughs> Coming. Yeah. Hi, this is printmaker and painter Latoya M. Hobbs, and you are listening to Studio Noise Podcast. <laughs> but no, that's what's up, yo. And so just the process of, of making the podcast, what do you think about that part of it? Because, I mean, it's a, I, I make a podcast. It's quite a bit of work to put all this stuff together and produce oh, it and make yeah. it sound decent, you know, <laughs> and control oh, the so flow hard. and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's no joke. I, I remember you quoting the statistic like uh, that one in like most podcasts don't make it past six episodes. Yep. I'm on five. So we'll see if I, <laughs> if I get to six. I'm still recording content. So yeah, I just recorded a, um, a new episode and I'm like planning on sharing it, but I'm also a slow artist. So it's like, I make work slowly. I produce like podcasts slowly. So (laughs) I'm kind of working at my own pace and I'm okay with that because the point for me is really having an exhibition where people can, can hear the voices of the subject and they can see them. So it's like, for me, that's really the point. And that people listen to my podcast means a lot to me. There's, there's been a lot more people listening lately and that's been really cool to see like, people are reaching out to me from different places and being like, I'm multiracial or I was adopted. And like this hearing, this means a lot mm, to me. Yeah. So like, that's been really, really cool. And it definitely makes me want to keep doing it. So it, it's not like my full thing. So I have some friends helping me. One person's like transcribing it. And then I have somebody else helping with audio. The first few episodes I did myself and I was like, Mm-mm. I'm not very good <laughs> at audio stuff. So I'm still trying to master that. But I think, I think they're they're still they're still uh definitely like easy to listen to and go check it out. <laughs> yeah. I agree. Was there any conversation that you had that you were surprised about? I know you had one episode with your mother, uh, on yeah. an episode talking about her experience. Like in, and not the referencer in particular, but uh just it was there anything like during this in having these conversations that stood out to you? Oh yeah. Yeah, it's such a, it's been, I've learned so much just about like how to interview people. And I learned a lot about what kind of questions I needed to ask because I interviewed my mom three times. We had over three hours of conversation. Oh, wow. And some of them were really hard because my mom, she is um, politically very different from me, but and so there's things I was like, we're just going to leave that bit out. <laughs> I don't want anybody, not my mom. So there are things like that. So um, just kind of navigating how do I ask a question that's open-ended enough and that really helps people center and think about their own experience and their own identity. And so um, instead of presenting a bunch of questions out of the blue, which was sort of how I started, I started asking people, what are like five ideas that are central to your understanding of yourself? And that helped me a lot, like get to answers that 
were more interesting because then I would base a series of questions off of those five ideas. Um, and then I would also relay like, what do I know about this person and what do I think is interesting about them and how do I help them talk about that more in relationship to these ideas that they presented? Um, so yeah, I think that was surprising realizing how hard it is to ask a good question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's hilarious. Yo. <laughs> that's hilarious. Cause, cause this is interesting that, that when you talk about your mother and you leaving some stuff out, like, why would you leave it out? Like when that's kind of, if you, if the point is to show like her or these people that you interview as themselves with their understanding, why would yeah. you edit it? I think so. Part of it was, she wasn't talking about herself. Mm, okay. So it's like, there's, um, there's points at which you're talking about an opinion you have about the world around you. And then there's times where you're talking about who you are, what you believe, and what's central to your understanding of yourself. And my mom can go off on real tangents about her <laughs> politics and thinks she's like, oh, I need to talk shit about this, that, or the other. And I love my mom, but I'm like, oh, I don't think that's like really going to benefit people's understanding of this work. And that's so, a different podcast, yeah. Yeah, so it's like most, of the, most of the interviews weren't like that, and so... But the one with my mom, just we had so such long and so many conversations that I was like, I really need to be thoughtful about like yeah. what is the most important information to really present and why am I presenting that information? And so I guess that that's a curatorial process, I suppose. And that's like that could be judged, too, is like, what am I not saying about this person, too? Um, true. But, true. Yeah. Because at the end, yeah. it becomes you are you are manipulating the presentation of this person yeah. so that's not even that person it's your version of that person yeah like yeah know, and i think my mom is probably mama, <laughs> if i went and yeah. met, met your mama and she started going off all these crazy tangents like whoa like i just listened to the podcast that's not that's not her yeah <laughs> yeah like yeah and what's what do you want to listen to too? so it's like um, yeah no uh, that's what's up no that's, i just i like that question i like the i don't know I, you know i'm interested in all kinds of stuff so i like the the process of going through an interview on these people like how did you pick these people i love that question that's a really good question and i i based it off of people i know so it's like one of the people that i talked to like my auntie didn't want me to interview her and she happened to she's a poet and so she's written all these books and so i ended up using her poetry as sort of the voice for the image hmm. rather than the interview and then um joelle was somebody I was interested in making an image of because there's, I've not seen, I've not seen a painting that's about somebody who's white passing as, uh, as a painting about somebody who's white passing. So I was like, I want to see that image and I want to talk to that person. And I want to, I want to like think about that experience because it's so similar to my own experience. Like if I was just a little bit lighter or just like a little bit this or that, like that could have been my experience. And so it was some, like I have sympathy for her and I was thinking about, the sort of inclusion and exclusion I sometimes experience being biracial and how that's impacted my understanding of myself. And so I was like, what has it been like for her? And I was just curious about her experience. Um, Artie Mack is somebody who is also just somebody I knew and he's hard of hearing and he's an artist and an activist around um, kind of the intersection of art and hard of hearing issues and I just think he's so fascinating and his whole like creative universe is really interesting um so I wanted to talk to him because of that experience of being on the at the intersection of two cultures like it doesn't really matter what color you are oftentimes we experience where we are both black and we are disabled and then mm -hmm. we enter like a totally different cultural space where we're omitted from certain black conversations and we're admitted from certain disabled conversations and that's not my experience but I'm kind of just talking in terms of Artie and I thought that that intersection was really interesting and then um a new portrait I'm working on is of um like a local culture collaborator kind of like curatorial artist and musician her name is Mary Lawson um and her like artist name is Misanjix and she's um African-American and Pacific Islander and so just like there's these really unique identities and oftentimes part of those identities are invisible because first of all, first of all, people are often seen as just black. Right. And mm -hmm. so this whole other aspect of them isn't understood. And so that's kind of what 
I hope my paintings can help do is make visible some of the invisible experience. Yeah. Nah, that's great, Joe. <laughs> that's great. Your girl, imagine she was giving it up on the podcast too. Yo. Yeah. Like she was talking yeah. that good talk. Yeah. Imagine is so cool. I, I was nervous talking to her cause I idolized her for a long time on social media just because she was so vocal and so badass and so um, just unapologetic when I was in college. And so like her whole like p- political and social understanding of the world had a huge impact on me. And so that was really cool. And I'm still working on her portrait and Artie's portrait. And I have one other portrait from the podcast that I'm working on. That's what's up, yo. Yo, yo, you you doing a great job on this stuff, yo. You, you say you should sold your show sold out. How did, how does yeah. that feel? Is that the first time you you've had like a sold out show? Yeah, yes, definitely. <laughs> That's not like a common thing for me whatsoever. Um, I didn't. I was really nervous, like going into the show because it's such a big space, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Am I gonna have enough work?" Like, I had all these questions, and then for that to happen, it was just such a huge affirmation and um, just such a huge blessing. And I just, I'm just thankful to God. Like, this is awesome. Like, so many, so many awesome things. And um, that's yeah. awesome. Did you get yeah. a chance to to meet the new collectors? I did. I met some new collectors, and Lincoln has um, a few like businesses that collect art actively there's the duncan aviation and um lincoln industries and there's like a few yeah a few places in lincoln that do actively collect art so that was cool i met um people at the museum of nebraska art and carney uh curators there who are really wonderful so yeah oh man i bet when you told them you got into yale i bet they really got excited after that it helps it definitely <laughs> helps so yeah i know yeah. i know my gallerist was definitely like and let me just mention like a lot of that yeah that's also yo i want to talk about one piece in particular and this piece is also featured in your pressing matters uh interview mm-hmm. issue 18 go ahead and pick one of those up support pressing matters that's a great printmaking pack magazine yo your boy was also featured in there a long time ago mm-hmm. in a little small little article you know way back then not this superstar stuff like you got but Catherine Weiss is in there. She got the piece Water Me, um, which is printmaking and painting together. Uh, talk about your process a little bit. And when you switch between these two mediums, because I find like the thing I find very fascinating is that you are such a painter. Like, especially I think of the piece that you did of your, of your mother, the circle one between spaces. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you have such a touch with it. And then you switch completely to another medium and you still have a similar touch, but it's not the same because the the method itself is not the same. Like you can't get the same results. Tell me how you approach kind of those two mediums. Yeah, I, I started painting when I was in sixth grade. So I really went into college with a pretty robust understanding of painting and oil painting. I was totally just overwhelmed by how effective it was in achieving all the things that I was really trying to achieve in acrylic but couldn't and so I was feeling proficient enough in painting that in college I decided I really wanted to spend time learning things I wasn't as well acquainted with and so I emphasized in printmaking when I was in college and I was doing a lot of lithography which was really fun and I'm very excited to have access to those facilities again because Mm -hmm. Part of printmaking, part of the challenge of printmaking outside of uh, school is the resources, the facilities are really expensive and hard to um, access at times. Yeah. And so, especially the litho stones. Yeah, lith- lithography in particular. So, relief printing became one of the few, like, very accessible ways for me to continue printmaking outside of school. Um, and I had like a few kind of projects in particular that incentivized me making prints again. And I was like, yeah, like, let's do it. I miss, I miss doing this. I'd spent a year making that giant painting if a black woman is afraid of the dark. And I was really ready to like kind of dive into a different medium and a different um, way of working that was faster paced. And so working at a really big scale, which I often choose to do, I like the viewer to have a sort of one-to-one experience with the figure. Um, woodcut is like a great way of doing that in one way because you can make a pretty big image 
pretty quickly. The issue is it can, you know, you got to be careful with your body. And I could have been more <laughs> careful making some of these because I made a lot of the big woodcuts very close together. And it was really hard on my joints and stuff. Mm, um, right, so yeah. it's good. I've enjoyed kind of mixing the painting and the printmaking because it's just, I think it's easier on my body. Um, but yeah, I, uh, the water meat piece in particular, that's one of my, that's one of the ones that's kind of closer to my heart. I had made, I'd taken a, the reference photo for that when I was in college, and the whole concept was like black girls on the porch, full stop. <laughs> whole idea. <laughs> there was really little like concept behind the, the, the photograph. And then I was reading Bell Hooks' Art on My Mind, and there's this uh, essay that she wrote about black architecture and the porch as as black architecture mm. and the the garden as like a legacy of like black women and my grandma's from alabama and her garden here is <laughs> is a southern garden if you've ever seen one like she has two properties like covered in roses and there's tires filled with vegetables and there's all these like little things about it where i can i can imagine it being in this other like in the south or in alabama again and so i hadn't thought about these like places in my life as as like black architecture or as black space and so i wanted to return to this photograph um, with that added information and that added context. And so there is sort of snuck into the image these glasses of water, and then there is a watering jug, and they're sitting like kind of on the steps of the porch. And I was thinking about the door of the house as a kind of gate, and there's a sort of gatekeeping in a way that the that the viewer experiences, wondering like, am I inside or outside of this space? Am I within or without? this sort of nurture or this water. Um, and it made me think about like kind of sisterhood and like loyalty and then also being biracial where there was times that I felt like I was outside of, um, of like black sisterhood. And then there's times where I've very much been in within it. And so it's kind of about the tentative relationship that the viewer has to the, to these like kind of huge figures. And all the, and all these people are people, you know, as well. Yes. Yep. They're all people I know. Um, some of them I grew up with, like Sydney is on the far right. She was in my painting, If a Black Woman is Afraid of the Dark. So she's actually the same model from that painting. And she's the one sitting with her like leg dangling. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this is, this is a great piece, yo. I love the way you mix it. And so you also did like a mural for PayPal, like that had some, some stuff in it too. Like printmaking PayPal stuff? PayPal is also in Omaha, but it's actually, it was for Patreon. Patreon, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah that's what it yeah. was. Yeah. Yeah. Tell yeah. me tell me about that. And and do you see or do you feel like this can be like a particular style that you like go more into as you go along? Or would you like to do like a full Latoya Hobbs, like, you know, full, you know, woodcut scenes, like, you know, massive like prints put together? Like, how do you see this part going? evolving yeah oh latoya is so amazing i met her in person she was giving like a short talk at the baltimore museum and i was so delighted i had wandered in there and i was like oh my god latoya Hobbs <laughs> is here so that was really cool and it was really inspiring seeing her work she also is deeply obsessed with carrie james marshall as am i yeah so um yeah she's amazing and her those new pieces she made are just incredible oh, yeah um listen to that interview she she gave it up yeah. in there too you know yeah, I think I'm gonna continue. Um, I'm gonna continue kind of mixing. I have I have one piece I'm working on where I'm thinking about having one figure be kind of this fully realized painting, and then have the like kind of these ghost figures and that are prints, because it'll it'll be faster and it could be fun <laughs> and it could be weird. It could do something different. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of still experimenting with it and. The, the initial big woodcuts that were mounted in space like were the result of this Patreon project. And so they were these commercial works and they were made in part out of necessity and out of like aesthetic appeal. So there was different decisions that went into that. And I, I really try and work in a way where I'm thinking about like, what's the concept? What am I responding to? And how do I make a work that will reflect those ideas? So I'll see where it takes me. Let's say that. I'll see what nah, happens. I'll up. see where it takes. Nah, I love it, Joe. Yeah, I love it, and and I think that's that kind of exploration that can happen when you just when you can draw. You know what I mean? Like like just looking at your paintings and your woodcuts. I just tell that you are great at drawing, and like having that ability to render gives you the ability to 
like move in between mediums in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love the figure. And I think like that's probably my first commitment. And then the way that I depict it, that for me is really flexible. So it's like, other than clay, like I, that's probably not something else you need to be time soon. But as far as 2D <laughs> stuff, I'm like really open to to different different things. Are you open to going more abstract? Where it necessitates. That's sort of how I determine. I'm like, what's like the the most necessary way of doing it? But I do think there's a power, particularly in black figuration, that exists because there's like a there is a lack of visibility within institutions, and so. That in and of itself makes me want to commit to like seeing just seeing more people. I remember when I went to the Sheldon when I was 12 years old and seeing a seven foot portrait of a woman who looks really similar to my mom. And it was this painting uh, by Barclay Hendricks of a woman called Angie and it's called Bitumen Slave. And she has a shirt that's a slave and it's so iconic. And I love this painting and I have a poster of it in my house. And I just like the power of that for me was so intense that it just like I just love the figure and I love that power that it can have for people when you see that and you're like I'm here and like my story is really important and like this story is really important it's important enough to be seen at this level like yeah no I like that and and how does that to me relate to what you were saying before about um showing the figures in scale yeah yeah um I think just what I said, it's like you're, it's like you're, uh, instead of having, looking at an object or a, or you're looking, you're having an experience with an individual. I think it, the scale sort of helps translate it so that it's more immersive and it's more interactive than I think happens when you minimize the figure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think there's just a power. There's like a power to seeing, seeing something at that size. So I, I like the robustness of that experience i also like intimate small things too but i guess as far as my own practice like that hasn't felt necessary no yeah and i, and I think you should explore exactly what you feel yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean because i because yeah. i think that's always get you your best results and so i i, I really appreciate that fact though and I, and I was just wondering uh it's it's scale is a different thing right where I'm often, as I look at some stuff, I often think that some stuff is like um, abnormally big, like uh, big, <laughs> yeah. big, bigger than it should be, like in, in a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And so I always like for people to have a reason to make it big. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Don't just yeah. go off and do. How there was this meme going around about uh, how white men uh, just um, are, what's the word they use? It's like an ego thing for them to just paint big stuff for no reason, as big as they can possibly make it. Like, and it's just about ego, like at the end of the day. And I don't like that idea. You know what I'm saying? Does that mm-hmm. make sense? And so I like it. Yeah, I, like I it much do more for it to be. I like much for, more for it to be grounded in the way that you're talking about, to have some reason for the figure to be the way that it is, how that it yeah. is, the position that it is, how you're supposed to relate to it. Like all of that, yeah. you know, that's grad school thinking already, you know? So who Thanks. knows who knows what you're gonna be saying once she gets get yeah. out of there. And the sculpt and like this the kind of sculptural quality of something that's large scale like means you have to navigate around it mm-hmm. in a way that you wouldn't have to with something that's small. The the piece becomes an interruption to the way you navigate space. And that for me is really important too, because it's a sort of protest. It's a sort of confrontation of the viewer that I think is necessary. Uh, like, I, especially when I think about my own experience in my own space is like, I'm talking about identities and experiences that are often invisible. And so to make them in your face and to make them pieces you have to navigate around means that they are visible in a way that they wouldn't be if I minimized them in, in scale. Nah, I love it, Joe. Man, that's fascinating work, yo. Absolutely wonderful. Like so much stuff coming at you that, uh, I don't know. I feel like you were like right at the beginning. So I, I definitely, definitely want to talk to you like again, again, again. About, about, yeah, let's like, do it. Have a little, we could have a little playlist folder. Yeah, like, they, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. It's been so real and it's been so great talking to you too. Cause like there's so few, I don't know if I know, there's not that many black printmakers that I like have 
talk to over the phone or just been able to talk to. So it was such a pleasure, like talking to you and talking to Latoya. I can't tell you how, how like delighted I was because I'd seen (laughs) Latoya's work on Instagram and I was like, Oh, I got to see it in person. And I didn't know she was showing at be more when i was there and so to be like oh, oh wow. shit she's up. here yeah. <laughs> i went i went in there and then for her to also be there i almost peed myself i was so excited <laughs> yeah yeah i was giving her like really strong talk to me energy after this <laughs> the whole time she was talking so <laughs> yeah was... that's awesome yeah have you ever thought about joining a group the black women in print group if they invited me, I would very happily like. <laughs> I would be so excited, but oh. I I do make a lot of paintings, and so I get it. I get it. If they were, if like it's supposed, it's made more um, specifically for printmaking and not multimedia stuff. But I'm probably gonna make more prints, and we'll we'll see what happens. All right, yeah, but you know, if, they're really tight either no, way. Yeah, Latoya does it too. Latoya makes some yeah. fantastic mixed media work, yo. So yeah, like yeah, I, that's true. Yeah, they they would be they want you i i'll just say it like you know i i don't even i ain't talked to taniki or nothing like that <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah but yes you you are exactly the type of person that they need like in the group i think you be, you would benefit from that kind of camaraderie because they do a lot I would love they that. do a yeah. lot of stuff together and they talk all one the other time. one person i want to plug who's also an amazing like black black lady printmaker is althea murphy price oh yeah i, I love her. her i've been at, trying to um, get her on the podcast for like the last year <laughs> She's so cool. She's so cool. And she she was the, one of the reasons that I applied for the University of Tennessee Knoxville. Their printmaking program is oh, yeah, amazing. And is Althea great. is amazing and yeah, it's oh, she's so cool. So I I I like I think she's in that group too. Yeah, and she is. She is. It's also just amazing because Althea's in like Tennessee's predominantly white and Knoxville um also there's a, like there's not a ton of diversity, so it's really amazing to see the way like these sorts of um collaborations like black women of print is just having this huge impact on these institutions where they have access to like show there's like all these shows happening and different things so that group is that group is really doing things and it's been cool to see them like go from just like a little instagram group oh, yeah, and then absolutely. they're having museum shows and then like <laughs> what's next so i know yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm ordering my Medea wig so i can get in that group too yeah. <laughs> so as as we as we leaving out this conversation like tell me like for you uh going into this new phase like what do you what do you want for yourself after this like give me three goals that you think you have like coming out of this and where you want yourself to be when you finish mm, such a good question i've i've been both thinking about that and trying actively to just be in the present and not think too far ahead but um probably finding a home base i don't think i'm gonna stay in new haven for a long period of time so um but not coming back to nebraska i don't know maybe i will and i think if i did i'd I'd move to omaha because it's just a Mm. little bit more um there's a little more resources and like opportunities for artists in particular yeah so navigating that question is going to be a big part of it and hopefully just having some some shows and i really want to make art like as my life i don't know that i want to teach i i might be open to it and i'm i'm not opposed to it but i'd really i really want like making art to be the kind of primary work of my life and so figuring out how to make that happen and what that looks like you know i want to have kids maybe i don't know so i'm trying to trying to stay open-minded and um and uh, kind of go where opportunity leads a little bit too, because I think I've seen I, I have one. There's one person I know, other than myself, that I knew before, like cohort introductions, that is going to Yale, and her name's Phoebe Little, and she's from Lincoln. And honestly, seeing her do that, I was like, Phoebe's at Yale. Like I should apply. <laughs> like that's crazy. This like girl from Lincoln, Nebraska, like me, is at Yale right now. And seeing her do that was really amazing. Um, and so I don't know. I'm curious to see too, like what everyone does, like, cause there's so many things you can do yeah. and yeah, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Yo, yo, thank you for coming back on the podcast. Yo, I, you know, I, I follow you before you came on the podcast afterwards. You the fam, yo, always keep track of you and you wish you nothing but the best show as you go forward in this journey. Like have, have the most fun you can. And, uh, in as for one, 
like person that actually survived my little grad school at Georgia State, I'll tell you the one piece of advice I always give people is be completely curious in what you're doing. Like don't don't have your ideas, but never think your ideas are beyond question. They can be mm-hmm. questioned and they can be explored more than you have explored before. And it'll get you to a place that you didn't think you didn't think you would go, but is exactly where you needed to go um, to make the work that you're destined to make. And so, you know, if you do that and you already do that with your work. So, you know, this is like almost kind of beating a dead horse, but uh, just embrace it, Joe, and come out the other side. You, I, I, I can't imagine what you'll make like once you get out of here. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to you. Thank you so much. I've just been grinning really big this whole time. So yeah, it's such a gift to talk to you and for your encouragement. And I wrote that down. Be completely curious. I love that advice. That's, that's gold. Absolutely. Yo, I got to send you a studio noise poster too. put a studio noise poster in your thing. So when they come visit yes. you, <laughs> know to I will tell to, to listen to yes. the noise. Yo. <laughs> I will. Yes. That's what's up, yo. That's it. Catherine Wee Show. Tell them where they can find you. My Instagram handle is K-A-T-H-A-R-E-N period Weiss, W-I-E-S-E. Um, my website is catweiss.com, just K-A-T-W-I-E-S-E.com. And definitely listen to my podcast. It's on Spotify, and it's just black IDs. And sometimes the algorithm pushes it down, so you can find it on my Instagram, too. That's what's up. It's Cat Wee Show. Appreciate you. Thanks. Peace out. And that's it. Another episode of Studio Noise in the Bag. Big everything. Much love. All that. To Catherine Weiss. Doing it big. Can't wait to see what you do. Can't wait. That's amazing. To all my artists out there. When I move, you move. And just like that, artists created. Worlds can change. Keep making that noise, baby. Yes. It's your boy, Jay Barber. I'll be back with y'all next week. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Studio Noise Podcast. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Please take a second to rate us and write a review to make sure everybody knows about the noise. Follow us on Instagram at Studio Noise Podcast. 